Ah, good morning, everybody. Oh, finally, it's taken me 10 years and I get a healthy good morning, you know, I think you should leave more often. It's funny, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, um, six months ago when we made the decision um, to do something new, the decision comes mixed with um, excitement, um, relief, you know, relief at, you know, that a decision's been made because it takes a while to make a decision. Um, and so you start thinking about all the adventure ahead and all that sort of stuff, but you don't think of this day. You don't really ponder it, and, but it comes, you know, and I think it's, um, it's a moment to be really proud, but also all of a sudden you realise, ooh, transition is big. It means a whole lot more than you think. Um, so I'm going to share with you this morning, and again, I was under instruction to only share for 15 minutes, but I'm looking at the time, I'm thinking we've got stacks of time. <laughs> and I can preach as long as I like. I dare one of you to come up and tear me off the stage, but <coughs> I'm going to honour it. You know, there's a couple of things that I get passionate about in ministry. There's probably quite a few things, but there's a couple of things that really stand out for me. And I shared one of them at Generate a couple of weeks ago. If you were at Generate, you might remember, I love to talk about a guy who's the presence of God in his house. His whole life changed. He was blessed. And it doesn't just say that he was blessed, it says everything, his whole household, you know, and if you understand what a household was. And so for me, this whole sense, many, many years ago when I read this and I thought about this, for me, this whole sense or the whole, the, the lingering memory or lingering thought is always that the presence of God, all then, or and our role is to always seek to be in, to be near, to access, to, to, to look at the, look for the presence of God. And so... The presence of God changes things. And so I shared that a few weeks ago. That's one of the things. And so I'm not going to go through that again. You should have come to generate. Today is the, the, one of the other things. And, and it's an encouragement, for sure, I think, when I think of One Hope. Um, but also a bit of a challenge, too. If it wasn't a challenge, it wouldn't be me preaching. So um, it's a bit of a challenge as well. And it's a generations. And I think of the generations and specifically of discipling the generations and discipling them to to stay close to God and his ways for the generations whatever the generation is figure out what he might have called them to do or what he has called them to do and how to stick close to that how to make decisions around that choices um, a lifestyle mission things to to have a mission in life and that the generations would be motivated um and that the generations above each generation to the generations ahead of them. See, in my understanding, every human being, the, all the generations, whether they're little kids in, in kinder church and turbo, whether they're youth, whether they're young adults, or even whether they're up to 80, 88, 89, am I missing anyone? The generations will be discipled. Someone once said that with motivation. Remember, not just words. I can preach a fantastic sermon but it only goes part of the way. A parent can give this amazing advice, but it doesn't go all the way. We will learn. We will be discipled. Every human will be. So who or what should we give the mandate to to disciple our generations? How do we influence it or in the right way? Now, one hope, this has always been a, 
a really visible quality. It's always been a really active pursuit to be really intentional about how we disciple the generations, from our little kids to our turbo kids to, to youth. Um, and even we, as we reach outside, we try to disciple the, the kids in Breakfast Club here in, in, in Scoresby or at Carrington Park. We, we, it's been a real pursuit of One Hope Community Church and a real visible quality, and that's fantastic. But discipling is not only a church thing either, and, and I think that there's a challenge for us too as human beings, as families and, and parents and, uh, and maybe uncles and aunties and grandparents. In Judges 2, struck me um, for a long time, and this is why one of these things that I am passionate about, there's a few verses that struck me for years and, and they motivate me in, in my uh, passion to disciple. Particularly as I disciple, I try to disciple a generation that's, that's growing up in an influential phase. And it's Judges, and I'm going to have them up on the, the screen, I think. Judges chapter 2, verses 6 to 10. Um, if you want to have a look at those, I'm going to read those. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of, of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash, if you may need to know that. And here's the key. And all that, ge all that generation also were gathered, this is a generation that had watched and, and worked under um, Joshua, all that generation were also gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How striking, that's just two generations. What happened in those two generations? Generation one, great to read Joshua and Judges and read that, Joshua reminds them in back in the end of Joshua of all the things that God has done. Remember, he took you through the desert. Remember, he gave you water. He gave you food. He, he, you know, he, he rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh as you went through the water. Remember all the things. And remember, he gave you this land. Now, when you remember that, serve the Lord. And he reminds of Abraham, the faithfulness that God showed to Abraham. And then he details after he's gone that they need to drive out the nations completely. Don't intermarry, don't take on the culture of the nations, don't mix, don't, you know, you're supposed to possess the land. Remember he taught God often called them to possess the land, to, to own it. And possess the land wasn't just land, possess the land in, in that language, in, in God's mind, and in that culture, was to actually culturalize the land, to, to make it your own and to drive out the other cultures. In chapter 23 he does all that. He says, now I'm going to die, but you guys need to do this. And he tells them what they must do now. They need to drive out the nations. And then Joshua says, and if you jump back, and I've got this one on the screen too, Joshua 24, 14 to 16. He says to them, just now, therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you'll serve, whether the gods of your fathers serve in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We know that one, don't we? We don't know the bit beforehand, but we know that verse. 
But as for me, you know, you guys, I've told you everything. I've told you what God has done. You've got to make a choice. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. You see, God and Joshua knows this is entrusting them with the task of representing him and building the kingdom. Just the way that one hope and we are. That we're entrusted with the task of representing God and building the kingdom. This is important. Remember God's plan for his people back then and even right now is to bring glory to God. Is to represent him and to build his kingdom here on earth. So if we read a little bit further, the people respond to Joshua in Joshua 24 and uh, from verse 16. Then the people answered, Oh, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all in ways that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. And then jump down to verse 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Now we probably don't need me to preach to tell you how that worked out for them. They said, we will do exactly what God says. So they all head back to their territories or their lands and, and what do they do? What do they do? I haven't got this up, but I'm going to read you some snippets. I'm just going to read you the first line of a few verses in the first chapter of Judges. Just straight away almost. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen and its villages. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labour, but they did not drive them out completely. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants of Kidron, but subjected them to forced labour. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko, etc., Sidon. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of... Well, which part of drive out did you not understand? They didn't. Immediately, the next generation did not drive out. Well, they drove out some of them. You know, so it's kind of like, let's keep some of the commandments, or let's keep maybe half of the commandments. Let's compromise a little bit. After all, a tiny little bit won't hurt. You know, if we, you know, God did say drive them all out, but look, you know, we did most of them. What if we just, a tiny bit won't hurt. After all, they make good servants, good forced labour. They make good workers and wives. Their women are pretty. They make good wives. And they run businesses that, after all, we might want the services that they offer. And their gods? Ah, their gods, surely they're harmless. Who knows, but they might actually even be a little bit of extra help when we need it. Serving their gods a little won't get in the way of our faith in God. Having another little God on the side won't really get in the way of my faith in God. And well, socially, they're not bad people, these Naphtali's and all these. They're not bad people. Some of them are actually really nice. And mixing, for us, it seems to be okay. So drive them out. We probably need to be a little bit more inclusive in society these days and not, not drive them out. Let's not do that. They might think differently, but hey, 
we could include some of their different values in our lives too. Our kids could learn from them after all. You can see the progression when I say it like that, can't you? You can see kids, that generation, the children, what does the next generation see? Not here. They were great storytellers. They could tell stories right back to Abraham and they would have meal times and Passovers where they'd tell these great stories of God's faithfulness. But I want you to, un- I want you to think about what did these kids, this next generation, see? Not just what did they hear, didn't we? And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there the kids, that ro- and ro- uh, there arose another generation, the kids after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he'd done for Israel. And it tells us what they did. If you read further, it goes on, and the people of Israel did what was evil in their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods, from, and it goes on what they did. This is just two short generations, or one and a half if you like. What happened to that task that they were commissioned, that 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 holy task of of representing God and building his kingdom. And a generation, the parents before, might have had their hands in their hair and say, what happened? Wondering, how come our kids are not serving the Lord anymore? Why why don't they believe in God? Why aren't they going to church? Why aren't they having a life? Why don't they do that anymore? They're probably wondering why that's happening. That all sounds a little bit dramatic, doesn't it? We would never do that. We know that that kind of stuff happens. Years ago, before I worked in this church, I worked in another church and I preached a message and I called it the generational slide. You know, if you're a pastor, don't look back at sermons you did about 15 years ago. It's embarrassing sometimes. But this, I thought, the, 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 the idea behind this was good. And I explained in that service that when you do something 100%, say you, you're a generation that does something 100%, we do all that, and then the next generation... They decide, well, it's good what the generation before did, but we reckon we only need to do about 80% of it. And the next generation has a look and says, well, we think that's good because they see that 80% as 100. We reckon we only need to do 80% of that. Very quickly, all those values just get lost. They get watered down, don't they? So you had the generation Joshua, who did things 100%, then the people after him that thought, eh, we could let some stuff go. And then the generation, the next generation, our kids who let you know, more than 50% of it go. And note, I'm not talking about rules and regulations because I know that you know, I grew up in a very, very traditional church and we had so many rules and regulations and we still know some of them that exist and things like you, know, you can't play sport on a Sunday or you can't do this and there were all these kinds of rules and regulations. I'm not talking about that sort of stuff. Rather, a life following and serving God in every life sphere. If our kids are at school, if our kids are at church's soccer club, what a wonderful example of recognising that that's a place, our sport is a place where we represent God and give glory to God. It's an amazing example. But all of these things, we want our kids to to understand that the way that they live, the way that they make decisions, that God features... In when mission, when they think about what do I do with my weekends, what do I do with, with my life, with my influence. And it'll mean obedience to God's call. And that's hard in a world that offers us more alternatives than we've ever had before. 
We can do all sorts of things now. There are so many things. Kids' ambition or aspirations. So many other things. And they're good things. They're not bad things. But often, the good things are in place of the God things. And we don't even notice it. It's sneaky. Let's just do most of it. And we as the older generation have a huge responsibility to model it accurately. To model accurately what it means to serve and follow God. Maybe now in this age more than ever with all those competing, competing values. And even for ourselves, we get, you know, I get led away easily. Remember, it's what the generations see, not what we say. We're all familiar with the social and moral slide in our world. You know, unacceptable. Now it's, in fact, you're supposed to agree with it. And, uh, you know, I could be talking about many different things. Once, what once was taboo is now totally accepted. And, in fact, you're supposed to uh, celebrate it. We know that humans have the capacity of letting things slide. So do we. Being Christian doesn't mean you don't. We're all, and we're entrusted with the growth of the kingdom. And to see it continue through to and through those that come after us. What we say matters, but what we do matters even more. Over time, consistently what we do. I know this sounds like an old-fashioned message, but it's, it hasn't changed in history and it's still true today. We need to be conscious of the influences that our children, our generations, and even that, that, that we're under. And we need to recognise that we as parents or, or pastors or teachers or or leaders are not the only influencers we're not the only disciples that our people are being discipled all the time and how do we counter that we do it with the word we go back to the word we we go back to church community you know church is not just something that's on the that's on the calendar that, oh we've got to go to church should we go skiing because there's good snow this weekend or should we go to church well i've gone to church three or four times in this last couple of months I, you know community is one of the most the strongest disciples that the generations have ever seen. And that's true through history, not just biblical history, but you read anywhere. Community, a church community is one of the strongest disciples. Family rhythms, what you do with your families, how you, the rhythms, how you make decisions, how you encourage your kids, how the word features in your home, how a thought process around things features in your home. You know, I've said it before, I've preached, you know, many men, and, and me included, and many parents have sat down with their teenagers and, and helped them to understand financial, you know, how to make good financial decisions, how to make good investments and all that sort of stuff. How to think of the future and buy land and buy a house. And, but how many of us have sat down and spent ages trying to plan a spiritual future with our kids, trying to figure out what they should be doing with their life spiritually? Family rhythms and lifestyles, values that are resilient, decision-making choices. Social settings are our disciples, and we want them to engage with the world. Now, here's the encouragement. One Hope impresses in this area. In One Hope and the ministries that are out, into Cavell, Knox Church's Soccer Club, Carrington Park, the places that we get into, One Hope impresses. We do it well. We engage the generations. The youth and young adults are ju not just some sideshow. They're actually engaged. Last week was a fantastic example. Our kids, our turbo kids ran the service. Those are discipling moments. As much as we may laugh through them and, and love what they do, those are discipling moments for our kids and for us. 
As One Hope Community Church, our vision is moving people in following Christ. <laughs> and the way we do that is to develop and send. How do we develop people and where are we sending them to and where are they ending up? The people we must first move to follow Christ, the people we must first develop are the ones that God's given us to disciple. And if that's a family, then it's your kids. If it's a church, then it's the generations in the church. They're the first ones. You can disciple a ton of other, you can coach a ton of other people, but if you're not discipling and coaching your own, you've missed step A. But it's also a challenge for us. We do that well at One Hope, but here's a challenge. We haven't been perfect. It hasn't always worked. And you can't sit on your laurels and say, well, we're doing well as One Hope. Let's just sit back and relax and enjoy the ride. Because the stakes are not lower. They're getting higher in the society we're at. Our kids are encountering so much more than we ever had to encounter. We have a great responsibility in discipling our kids and our teens and our young adults. But it's also a massive premier, and particularly as I look over this side, and you always sit on this side, I'm not sure why. Probably because you get to sneak in most of your last minute and add chairs. It's a massive privilege to be able to do that and to see young people grasp that God actually has a call in their life. And that call might be a mission field somewhere, but it might just be at uni, it might be as a carpenter, it might be as whatever the profession is in that situation. What we do and say is important. We're positioning. Think about this, especially us older people in the church. We are positioning a generation to continue to build the kingdom, God's kingdom here on earth. Not like this. Blend the kids to be the kingdom builders, to be the God glorifiers in the coming generations. And I can't think of a greater and more noble task for us to do. At home, as parents, our lifestyle choices matter, guys. What we choose to do with our money, with our life, and what we do with our weekends and our time, that matters. It disciples. At church, our community choices matter. The way we make decisions when we, when we do things as a church, it matters. Our kids will be discipled by someone or something. We get a chance to determine what that is, and that matters. Let's pray. God, we're consistently calling the generations. Lord, that you're not, um, you're not sidetracked by our uh, failure, even as we look back and see um, in your word, we are testimony today to the fact that that generation that didn't follow you, they didn't have the last word. That Jesus, you came, you sent people before, you sent judges, you sent kings, you sent prophets and then you came yourself Jesus to remind us that who we live for and why we live and that it matters God I pray that we would continue as a, a church and as a generation to understand what we must do to show the next generation what it means to live close to you to make our world revolve around you to make you the axle the center Lord, teach us to be disciplers in really natural ways. It's not a program discipleship. It's influence, and I pray that we would understand that. And I pray, Lord, for the generations that come after us that 
They would not see a, a watered-down version of what you've called us to do as a church, but in fact they would see an increased intensity of the things you've called us to do and be. As individuals, personally, but also as a church. Lord, we pray for the young kids that are would be stronger, would have more influence, would bring glory to you, and would be instrumental in your kingdom here on earth through our kids. In Jesus' name, amen.